Welcome to CIBC Mellon Industry Perspectives, a podcast series that brings you developments in the Canadian securities industry and potential impacts facing CIBC Mellon clients and institutional investors active in the Canadian market. My name is Darlene Clays McKinnon, Executive Director here at CIBC Mellon. In this podcast, we're going to review the segment applications of data and technology innovations in investment decisions from Institutional Connects Portfolio Innovation and Resilience Forum. Things are working, right? So all of this effort, the the cost of doing um, machine learning, artificial intelligence within, especially within our team, um, our efforts are paying off in spades, I would say. This segment was moderated by Darcy James Maxwell from BNY Mellon and CIBC Mellon with Kevin Zhu, Managing Director, Head of Portfolio Construction Group at OP Trust, and Stephen Asprey, Managing Director, Global Diversified Programs at Omer's Capital Markets. I, I think we should all be mindful that each organization is different. You have your own, cons- own constraint and your own objective. So, you know, don't rush into doing things for the sake of doing it, i.e. don't be headline driven, you know, because, you know, you can tell people that you're doing AI or machine learning or look at unstructured data. You really have to understand what is your ultimate objective and what are your real constraints. We'll play some clips from the discussion focusing on how alternative data complement current investment management and setting up investment processes that can benefit from tech innovation. We'll start off by hearing Darcy provide an overview of how data informs the investment process. Data has always been a critical component of the investment decision process. If you consider this very basic question, how did I perform? This is a starting point for most investors and we answer it using two data points. My rate of return against something else, the market performance or industry peers, This fundamental question has never changed, but what has? We have started to ask more questions, including how do I increase my return and avoid undue risk? There are a number of variables in these questions and they lead back to how do I use data to increase performance? There are three key areas that we believe that have contributed to a significant shift in the investment process. An explosion in the quantity and quality of data available, data management tools, which have the ability to store and manage all of this data, and computing power to process complex algorithms. CIBC Mellon recently surveyed both Canadian and global asset managers, and in Canada, 85% of them indicated plans to expand the use of analytics and insights in portfolio management, indicating that many of their growth strategies rely on advanced data and analytics, And I think this statistic is not just isolated to asset managers. I think this is representative of the investment industry as a whole. So we are at an inflection point. We have the tools to be able to answer so many questions that can directly impact our investment decisions. But where do we start? For context, the first chapter of our recent wide-ranging research study covers about 200 asset managers from Canada and across the globe. We draw from BNY Mellon's global insights and our local expertise to contextualize selected areas where Canadian asset managers are leading or trailing the global consensus. I'd like you both to share with us a bit of a business problem you are facing 
that triggered the strategy to begin exploring AI and what was the driver? I'm going to start with you, Stephen. Our group within Capital Markets uh, lies within a, a larger team called uh, Cross Asset Strategies or CAS. And our remit is uh, multi-asset in nature. Um, we are basically the, the quantitative team within OMERS Capital Markets. And everything that we do, it relies on models, right? And it's, I think it's fair to say anything in production for us right now is heavily reliant on what would be called traditional data sets like market action, prices, volumes as well as balance sheet items, fundamentals, uh, estimates, and flows. At the beginning of uh, 2020, we embarked on a, a mission to um, introduce uh, investment data science into the picture. And that's where we started collecting all sorts of alternative data sets, um, things like news, uh, transcripts, filings, uh, a lot of textual data, but also structured data like supply chains and even weather and weather forecasts as well. Thank you, Stephen. And Kevin? Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks, Darcy. Um, so I would like to put this discussion in the context of um, the business issues that OP Trust is, uh, is facing. So let me give you a bit of background of OP Trust as a pension plan. Uh, so we are managing about 23 uh, billion uh, assets in Canadian dollar. Uh, we are a jointly sponsored uh, DB pension plans uh, in Ontario and managing the asset uh, and the pension asset for our uh, public service sector employee. Uh, our plan uh, currently uh, in, is in a healthy uh, condition. Our funded status uh, is 100%. Uh, the challenge for our plan is going forward. And we are facing the cash outflow pressure which really means that our risk tolerance going forward is gonna be uh, declining over time. Compared to a lot of younger pension plans, um, we just don't have the luxurious to bear any severe market drawdown. In other words, for a mature pension plan, the earlier loss you incur will become very difficult and for you to recoup those losses later on because simply because the asset base is ranking. That's why uh, six years ago, OP Trust launched a uh, new investment strategy, which is now well known as member-driven investing, which is really focusing on the total portfolio risk management instead of focusing on value add, i.e. beating the benchmark. Under the po total portfolio management framework, our investment research is very much focusing on how we can best enhance our return risk profile of different parts of the portfolio. And the way we prioritize our research is really in trying to assess the significant impact of different projects to the total fund. So I just want to give you an example in terms of our research we did last year is actually focusing on the, uh, how we can improve the return risk profile, our, our equity exposure. And this is where and the new technologies such as AI machine learning is gets reflected in because we truly believe that those technology can bring a great value to complement the traditional quant strategy in order to improve the benefits that we can gain from the tail risk mitigation benefits standpoint. Uh, so that is how we actually think about in the new technology and the data and prioritization is very important and trying to be aligned with your business object. Thank you very much, Kevin. And you can see, you know, organizations will have different use cases as to how they apply it. At CNBC Mellon, BNY Mellon, for example, we looked at AI as opportunities for operational efficiency. So there's multiple aspects to this. 
But let's talk through a couple of examples. 36 institutional investors managing 5.5 trillion in assets have signed a new Canadian investor statement on climate change. The statement calls on companies to act on material climate risks, including uh, through their industry associations and lobbying activities. I believe some of the signatories are in the audience today. But to effectively leverage ESG in the investment process, we need to standardize the data so it can be used as part of our analysis. This has been one of our primary focuses here in our AI program at BMI Mellon and, and CIBC Mellon, to be able to use AI to normalize a taxonomy. But all unstructured data sets pose new challenges for data management. What have you deployed to manage this, this data type and others like it to harness the benefits? And let's start with you, Stephen. So just to give you an idea, uh, we have multiple textual data sets flowing in through our data pipes. Uh, the biggest one probably is a machine readable news feed where we're getting, you know, north of 30,000 news stories per day uh, through that feed. Some of the others include, as I mentioned, uh, filings data, which in includes annual, full annual reports on any interim, whether it be semi-annual or quarterly uh, 10K and 10Q reports and their equivalents across the globe. And what we've been doing with that data is natural language processing. Uh, we've, we've been developing our own bespoke models, our own bespoke sentiment models to try to judge, you know, the positive and negative um, language within those texts. And more importantly, trying to develop what we call contextual topic models. So what is the text about? And can we actually semantically search that text for the investment thesis that we're after, so ESG being just one of those uh, examples, of course. Um, and so what we've done with these models is we've actually partnered with the data and technology team within OMERS and built a web application that allows a human analyst to interpret this, these vast amounts of data uh, in, a, in a very succinct way. So allowing a human to analyze news headlines for literally thousands of companies globally to be able to do that through time, to be able to see trends in topics and in sentiment, and to judge the potential price impacts that those have had within the market, and to be able to capitalize on using that data for their investment purposes. As we've heard, new challenges are emerging in ESG every day, including rising data volumes and the need to manage unstructured data sources. That unstructured ESG data then needs to be incorporated into analytical calculations, including internal and external reporting. The data is not evaluated in isolation for ESG and will need to be connected to other content in the investment process. To add to the struggles of managing data, third-party ESG data providers use varying methodologies, and as a result, this leads to variance in the scores. As more firms consider how to incorporate ESG into their everyday processes, they are faced with the challenge of determining which sources of ESG information best align with their investment approach and workflows. Natural language is such a phenomenal opportunity in so many different ways. We look at it not just from processing, but even on natural language generation in terms of commentaries and, and different reporting that clients do. And Kevin, maybe do you want to share up in terms of the, the experience of your organization? So over the next year or two, and I would say that we will continue to focus on the public market data instead of focusing on unstructured and unconventional data at this moment. 
Uh, but we do actually um, promote innovations in terms of using different technology and to use those data um, for a number of reasons. You know, first is because we're taking a total portfolio approach. Um, we have a big chunk of portfolio, which is in the liquid market. Uh, under our framework, it's called a completion portfolio. And we use the completion portfolio to achieve the desired uh, return risk characteristic that the total fund needs you know, by taking into consideration we have a large allocation to the illiquid asset. However, we start recognizing that even in the public market data space, there are a lot of data that are being underutilized and to benefit the total portfolio. Let me give you a few examples. I mean, in the past, a lot of those data are mainly used for uh, value-add uh, kind of activity. Things like you know, high-frequency data, uh, option type of data, and curve type of data. Uh, they are being utilized for much smaller scale. So what we, our research suggests is that some of those data can actually really benefit if you use them properly and to sort of you know, generate more meaningful impact to benefit the total portfolio rather than just on the value added space. So this is point number one. So that's why we spend a lot of time in trying to apply the new technology to you know, slice and dice the data differently uh, to extract the most value from those data. And the second point is that OP Trust does have very significant allocation to the illiquid asset classes. We have about 45% allocation to private equity infrastructure and real estate. So as a, as a result, we do have access to a lot of uh, private market data, uh, some of which are unstructured. With changing data demands, we also see some investors considering an evolving hybrid model as organizations modify their operations over the long term. They want to be able to integrate a wider set of data sets, focus resources on complex analysis, but also be prepared to allocate operational functions to their asset servicing providers based upon the investment operations models. This has provided many clients with the best of both worlds, minimizing in-house operational activities while continuing to leverage technology to better meet their information delivery strategic objectives. Moving to a fully outsourced model where the teams and technology are operated by a provider allows clients to leverage a standardized service that can be integrated into their existing operations. For many clients, this is an ideal choice. It not only reduces the need to hire resources, but also to invest in technology and provides a predictable cost structure for them. However, some clients may want to be able to provide their internal stakeholders with highly customized analytics or have the ability to integrate their own data with the information from their asset servicing partner. In this scenario, a technology-only model where a provider delivers the platform while the manager provides the process expertise is the preferred operating model. In your organization, how do you guys define priorities and focus areas? Yeah, um, thanks, Darcy. Um, yeah, for us, a lot of the needs um, you know, for alternative data, the application of machine learning, uh, artificial intelligence come, especially from within our group. Um, you know, we, our remit, uh, wanting to, first of all, um, you know, obtain our, our absolute return target, but also to be able to do things like beat the market and also have a positive relative return overall. Um, those are the, these are the areas of focus that we are hoping to find orthogonal factors to some of these uh, factors that we already have, right? 
And so let, let me just give you an example of something that we've done uh, over the past year, where we've looked at uh, applying some of these techniques in a thematic way. And in particular, what we did is we took our supply chain data set, which is a, da a global data set of uh, how companies are connected uh, globally uh, through, through business. And this is a very highly, very complex uh, network um, to, to analyze. And we've used some of the machine learning techniques within uh, network theory to analyze these complex networks to determine the companies that are robust uh, to their supply chains and that would perhaps survive something like a pandemic if it were to happen again uh, in, a, in a good way. And what we found was uh, by applying these techniques to, to this data, uh, you could actually create a portfolio that would beat the market, especially through uh, 2020 and even some of 2021. Um, and in order to exit that particular theme, we actually used our natural language processing with the news data and looking at the news headlines to see what the, the market was saying about supply chains in general. Well, you know, all organizations have to make trade-offs. Where do you put your bets? You know, and we, I know in our organization, we choose, you know, just a couple of use cases where we need to apply. And we really try to pattern that out and make sure that we can get some benefits to it. But I think that's really something important that our audience would benefit from. How do you make the case for this level of investment that this is going to require? Because this is a lot of work. We talked about a little bit about the technology, the tools, the people. How do you quantify the benefits and describe how impactful these investments can be? I'm going to start with you, Kevin, because you, you mentioned how you guys were very targeted and very specific in what you wanted to go after. But there must have been a lot of thought process of how you made that quantified decision process. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in order to sort of get a, get a general buy-in, you know, and also general understanding uh, in terms of, you know, why we're doing what we're doing, you know, uh, I always emphasize communication, 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 right? So you have different levels of communication and education you need to do. So as I mentioned that, you know, OP Trust has a very clearly defined investment objective. You know, our goal is not to shoot the lights and be a star in the industry, right, in order to shoot for the highest return. Instead, our investment objective is to achieve the required return to make our plan sustainable while achieving the lowest risk possible. So that's why, you know, all our focus is very much on how we can actually better managing the downside risk, i.e. severe market drawdown, while continuing to harvest a long-term risk premium in order to pay the pension. So that's why a lot of technology and the data focus um, in that area. So we spent a quite amount of, uh, a bit amount of time, you know, uh, with our board in terms of um, explaining to them, you know, why we're doing, why we needed to apply those technology in order to uh, 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 deliver the projects that, you know, we have set uh, uh, from a priority standpoint. And once they understand, you know, um, all the project is aiming to improve the return risk trade-offs of the entire portfolio. And you can actually show them quantitatively and how those technology and can generate the benefits in order to uh, uh, kind of deliver the pension uh, certainty to our member and they just start getting it. And then at the management level, you also need to do a lot of education because a lot of senior folks within the investment division they may not understand those AI technology and why you're doing those kind of things 
in particularly think, uh, folks like, you know, in the illiquid market, right? I mean, they're not in that space. You needed to actually explain to them uh, constantly and show them and how you're going to actually uh, implement and measure the success. Absolutely. Anything to add to that, Stephen, by any chance? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the ways that we go about this, um, so, you know, getting return on investment for spending time, spending money on data, on algorithms. Um, like Kevin said, we, we, are, uh, we are using back testing. We have a, back, a, a big back testing engine that we use where you can, you know, more or less prove return on investment through, through systematic strategies. But one of the other things we do is um, trialing data. And what, you can, what you're able to do is, um, you know, with a little bit of effort, you can go through uh, 10, 15 data sets per year where you can trial these data sets, have a look at the data itself, make sure there's enough history, there's enough breadth for your application and backtest with those, with those trial data. And in that sense, you're not really spending money upfront, it's just the time and effort of your, of your team, uh, perhaps a bit of uh, system spend, but um, you get a very good idea before you bring that data into the firm. Um, and so that just our example of our supply chain thematic, you know, the purchase of, of supply chain data, of news data, allowed us to beat the market handsomely over the time that that portfolio was on. Both Stephen and Kevin are clearly far down the road in analyzing the right data and technology elements for their organization and stakeholders. We hope this will all give you some insight into their outcomes and help you develop your own ESG and data strategy. Thank you for listening to CIBC Mellon Industry Perspectives today. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. For more information, including CIBC Mellon's latest on issues relevant to institutional investors active in Canada, please visit CIBCMellon.com.